Hey everyone, and welcome to the last episode of We Need to Talk season five. What an incredible season this has been filled with so many meaningful conversations. I had the pleasure of meeting my guests today when I was a guest on their podcast, Yes Jesus, where I talked about allyship and my journey as a progressive Christian. But now I get to be behind the table, so to speak, and find out more about their journey and their story. Joining me today are host and advocate, Azariah Southworth, and actor and stand-up comic, Dana Franzesi. Azariah and Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. Of course. I'm excited to chat with you. You had a blast on your podcast. And I love the space that you are creating for the LGBTQ community, specifically with the conversations that you're having surrounding faith and identity. But before we even get to talking about your podcast, I want to talk about your individual stories and journeys. So, Azariah, I'm going to start with you. And I know you had mentioned that you grew up in Indiana, which I'm so <laughs> interested to hear what that experience was like in terms of your exposure to religion and Christianity within that scope? Because we know it's a very conservative, more red-leaning state. So what was your experience like? Very much so. So the region of Indiana I grew up in is the northeast corner. So I grew up in a tri-state area uh, near Michigan, Ohio. Um, the Amish have a big influence in the culture here, as well as the uh, Catholic Church. Um, there's a big diocese nearby um, in Fort Wayne. Um, so it's, it's a very Puritan heavy <laughs> culture, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of emphasis on, uh, purity and, uh, uh, abstinence and, uh, trying to perfect your walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so the tradition, tradition I grew up in was, uh, Pentecostal charismatic, um, my grandpa started the first Pentecostal church in Kalamazoo, Michigan back in the day. And, uh, and so that has influenced, uh, my faith experience, uh, growing up a lot. So, um, I, I grew up with women pastors, which was probably about as liberal as we got. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've never questioned a woman in authority, uh, and I'm very grateful for that experience. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, this region of Indiana is, has that uh, uh, heavy uh, emphasis on uh, purity, I would say, just because of the uh, conservative religious influences in, that dominate this area. And Danny, what was your experience growing up and your exposure to Christianity and religion? Religion's always been a very, or Christianity's always been a very important part of uh my life because it was a very important part of my parents identity around the time that i was born um my grandparents were italian immigrants and my parents converted from catholicism to born again christianity right before i was born and it it, it severed the family it like made a big Mm -hmm. deal for everyone you know for everyone so my parents i was supposed to be named uh, Antonio after my grandfather because you always name the oldest after the oldest names the oldest after the father um, in Italian tradition but uh, they named me Daniel without a middle name because Daniel means God is my judge mm. so I've traveled my whole life with God is my judge really close to my chest and I grew up really close to God and even though I did I had a even though I did have a lot of uh uh, trouble, uh, being queer and figuring that out. I had a very happy Christian household childhood, you know, Italian American, Brooklyn, Christian Italian household, but I didn't, um, but it wasn't until I got older that I sort of 
you know, struggled a little bit more. So I grew up kind of in Pentecostal, born again, missionary churches, sort of, so to speak. And then it kind of dabbled, especially towards college, a little more into like Southern Baptist, because that's what was around, you know, um, Southern Baptist and even Methodist and Lutheran. But I always felt very non-denominational myself. I feel like I have a special relationship with God. And so, um, my, now I don't really identify to a full denomination, but all the ones I mentioned are sort of the places I'm the most comfortable. Yeah. So when you came into your true identity, what was the response for the people around you that you grew up in the church with? Well, it's funny because, you know, um, both Azure I and I are, uh, we speak about it often, we're both survivors of conversion therapy mm. and both in very different ways. You know, he was uh, uh, forced into it and I was willingly putting myself into it without anyone else knowing. I was trying to find a way out, wow. you know, um, and I think both of them uh, show uh, how um both of them are very damaging ways process it's like an outdated and never worked before antiquated like archaic barbaric um evil way to try to uh infiltrate someone's mind and make them feel the way you're thinking it's brainwashing and um and you know uh, I think the biggest issue was not really with how everybody accepted me and more with, uh, with how I accepted myself. Mm-hmm. I imagine today's youth and I see them so blazingly free, a lot of them and, you know, not everyone obviously, but I, you see a great deal of them, especially in media nowadays, being able to be themselves and have storylines. And, and I wonder, I do wonder what it would be like if I at 14 or 15 was comfortable with who I was. I do think in my heart of hearts, everybody that was around me would have been accepting and loving. Mm-hmm. And had they had not, all of the, my family and the people around me who were accepting and loving would have told them all to, you know, just hit the road. But I just wasn't comfortable in myself. And that just caused so many rifts. I felt like every problem I had was because of it. You know, I had like a, a chip on my shoulder. And, I, you know, I did have a thing of fearing of disappointing my family and fear of like not living up to my the ideals of what, I was expected to with my masculinity. Um, I didn't know how to, you know, um, embrace my, the the feminine qualities that I have and try to, uh, feign and fake other levels of masculinity to to me that always seemed harsh and insensitive and not a person I wanted to be anyway. Um, but I try, you know, try to, trying to, trying to create that to sort of just, feel safe is is very you're mixing all kinds of cocktails of of um emotion and of hormonal balance that honestly aren't meant to be mixed together so i I think i i i have a hard time going back and looking at everyone and saying would they have felt different or would my dad have cared if i couldn't throw a barlow whatever i don't know because i cared and it bothered me so much and i do think that was directly related to religious trauma. I do think mm-hmm. that that was so, was, I loved Christ so much that the, everybody around, everything that I ever heard from someone who I valued their opinion on God had a negative connotation. Even if I had family members who were gay and my family accepted them and loved them and they did. We had, I had elderly gay uncles as an example. We you know, I had lesbian cousins and they were fine. They were welcome in the family. Like everything was great. It still felt like a stain. Mm. on my soul like something that i wasn't i couldn't continue to do whatever i want you know yeah. so to, to me that's why the message that azra and I, azra I and i try in the space we try to create is so important because i Absolutely. i said well I, I forced myself into asexuality and like 
by romanticism in a way. I forced myself to be asexual, but be by romantic. Like I found everything I could find in a woman that I could love and I that I tried to love it and cherish it and treat it like a ritual the way God wanted me to, to a wife. Mm. But it still never had the electricity to make it all go. Oh, I can't even imagine how it must feel to have those feelings inside of you. And it's just, I'm like, as I'm listening to you, it just, it, it breaks my heart, so to speak, that you even had to go through that. But what I think is beautiful about both of your journeys, to be honest, and especially what you're doing with your podcast is that, and I say this often in my podcast, is that you became the thing that you didn't have. And you are being the person for that younger generation that you know, there's looking at you and like, it's okay to be who I am. It's okay to be me because you didn't have that growing up, you know? And so I love that you guys are doing that specifically with your podcast. So even not being a member of the LGBTQ community, I'm just saying thank you to you because you probably are saving a lot of lives by just being authentic in who you are and telling people, Hey, God made you the way that you are, love yourself and he loves you as well. So I think it's beautiful that you're doing that. And I really appreciate you sharing your stories. I really think the same for you though. This I want to give you your flowers real quick too. No, because it takes an ally, you know, an ally with maybe no skin in the game to have to, to feel like, like I am on your side and that's what we needed the mm-hmm. most. So I, I, we the same way, I thank you. You know, it's one of the reasons Azariah and I are so excited to do this show because we really appreciate the message that you're sending out your audience. You know, I, I always say we're not trying to reach like, it's like, you know, we're trying to find people who might not hear this story or might not even know this perspective and might not even be gay themselves that want to be an ally and want to yes. help and want to expand their mind on Christ because yeah. there's so much to God. Yes. There's so much like we can't take a narrow point of view that's been decided by a committee. We have to be able to wonder and, ex- and feel it out. Absolutely. And I, I love that you said that because I do feel that people have a very reductive view of what God is capable of doing. And that has always frustrated me. It's like, you're limiting God so much, you know? So I, I love that you said that. Um, Azra, I'm going to jump to you really quickly because I would love to know what your experience has was like with conversion therapy as well. And just kind of throwing this in the mix, you know, I recently, and I talked about this before on an earlier episode of my podcast, watched the documentary Pray Away. And I had to pause it often because I was getting angry. So I can't even imagine how triggering it might've been for somebody that actually went through that process and had that kind of religious trauma um, inflicted upon them. So I would, as much as you feel comfortable, please share your experience so people can understand what conversion therapy really does to a person. Oh boy, honey, buckle up. Um, <laughs> because repression will work a wonder. Mm. And it did on me. Uh, when I was 13, um, my parents suspected that I had gay tendencies. I mean, if making out with my childhood crush between Sunday services wasn't enough for them, <laughs> at 13, they knew. Um, and they went to uh, our pastor at the time and, you know, wanted her to have a conversation with me. And so they planned this meeting. They set up this meeting with her uh, after a Sunday evening service because we were a go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening family. <laughs> and so it was after Sunday evening service. And I, it was pitched to me in a way that 
I thought she wanted to impart some wisdom to me or, you know, like I got, I thought it was like special one-on-one time with pastor. I was really excited. And uh, when I went in her office, she sat me down and she told me of the story uh, that she saw on the news about a man who was molested. And when he grew up, uh, he ended up molesting other children. And she looked at me, she said, Azariah, my eyes are on fire. And growing up in a Pentecostal, you know, uh, environment, you, you, that kind of lingo, like I interpreted that as I can see right through you and I know that you're a homosexual, you know? So she framed the story as if all home, this happens to all homosexuals. Right. And, and if you don't confess to me, this is my impression. What I took away from it is that, that you will become like this man, that you were probably molested and that you will grow up to do the same thing. And I knew that that's not who I was and that's not what I wanted. But I knew that I was attracted to the same sex because 90 Degrees was performing in Fort Wayne that night. And I had a huge crush on Nick Lachey. So <laughs> who, didn't, who didn't? Let's be honest. Who didn't, right? <laughs> I mean, he was kind of young. <laughs> if God delivered me of anything, it was my, my crush on Nick Lachey. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so, so I, I confessed out loud for the first time uh, to her that I was gay, um, and I, I broke down in tears, and it was very emotional. Um, and she came and knelt down beside me and started to cast the demons of homosexuality out of me, and that continued uh, once a week for the next five years. And um, I would have to confess my thoughts to her when I had impure thoughts. Um, and at one point wore a rubber band around my wrist uh, to stop myself whenever I had an impure thought. Um, and so uh, that l- taught me how to hide. It taught me how to lie and to not really be able to fully show up and be myself in any situation, situation, circumstance, not feel safe to do that. And so a story that I often tell and I... I uh, it, it's it's not a it's not a story that I'm proud of, but um, you know, I, conversion therapy started at 13, and at the age of 14, I started breaking into homes, and it's because it was my way of trying to find what what I, I couldn't have, mm-hmm. uh, and I <laughs> I ended up stealing a bunch of dildos. Okay, that's that's the story. <laughs> 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 I was trying to be vague, but let's just come out of the bag with it, okay? Oh uh, Sorry, but kudos. I wasn't prepared, and I'm obsessed. <laughs> is anybody ready? Is anybody really ready? Is it, is, I mean, how do you how do you tell the story? I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I just love that, like, of anything that you could have, like, you could have taken jewelry, you could have taken like DVDs, probably at the time. You're like, no, this is what I want. I love it. I this love is what it. I want. You were committed. <laughs> but, but there's, when, there's no Columbia House for dildos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, my goodness. I, I couldn't, you know, I, 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 this is what happens when you're not allowed to go to sex ed, when your parents yeah. write a note right. exempting you from sex ed. Mm. This is what happens when you... Uh, 
are not allowed the freedom or the opportunities to talk about what's going on in your body during puberty and to help you understand the feelings and the urges that you have and how to manage them, you know? Um, and that's what I didn't have. And so yeah. when you don't have that, guess what? You'll grow up and you're breaking arms and still do those. So, uh, <laughs> so, so Let's it came out sideways for me. <laughs> And so, so that just added to the shame and, and more repression and, you know, you know, I needed to commit further to my conversion therapy. And, uh, and so, and that's, that's kind of my, my experience with it. Uh, overall, all it taught me was shame and repression mm -hmm. and, and to lie in secrecy. And as a 35 year old, I'm still learning how to unpack that and undo that, you know, yeah. um, how, how can I really show it more authentically in this space, in this environment? We touched on it earlier. We're, we, we are the um, generation of trailblazers. We didn't have like a generation before us necessarily talking at all about this movement yeah. in the way that we are now and as deep yeah. as we are now. And the people who were willing to, a lot of them died in the AIDS crisis. So like, you know, uh, we lost it. So we're, we're speaking double or double speaking for everyone can hear like we got to say it twice we got to say it, uh, the same story in every podcast it's whatever we can do to get this message out there so we can you know start educating you know this has been this big debate since the fda came up about uh poppers talking about poppers which is an inhalant drug that's very popular in gay culture mm -hmm. um it's pretty much you can get over the counter but it, it aids it's a sexual aid it helps you relieve relax your muscles all of them in order to be able to complete certain sex acts right so so this is something that we don't know um, what it does to us. I mean, it, it was a prescribed drug like in the 1800s and, you know, somewhere in the 60s, it started getting used in discos and who knows what happens, but the FDA is warning not to use it and they're not saying anything new. They're saying the same thing they've always said about it with no research. There's mm. no research on gay sex. There's such little comprehensive sexual education uh, for minors to even understand how some of this stuff even works. So where do we go to learn it? Like, I, you know, I may not have broken into people's homes, but I did put myself in a lot of dangerous situations, you know, risky behavior and places yeah. I shouldn't have been to try to learn what was going on or figure out what was going on places I never wish I never went, you know, and, um, and, uh, tried drugs that I wouldn't have tried maybe, or did things that I wouldn't do to try to feel something or mask something yeah. or feel comfortable with who I was, you know? Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that I thank the Lord that I had God the whole journey, you know, because without Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there would be no Danny really. Right, and right. so I, I, I fear for the young kid out there who not only maybe not know about this because it's, it's really not like a preachy vibe, but it's like the ones who knew and walked away, yes. like who turned their back on God because they, because somebody told them God was turning their back on them. Because when you know, when you really know the glory of God and then you turn your back on it, it's so sad. Mm -hmm. And I tell these kids all the time, you know, uh, my mom said it in a great way, like, what's your most favorite thing in the world? Like if someone walked up to you right now and tried to take your Louis Vuitton or try to take your puppy, would you let them No, But how easy you give up your God. Mm. And it's and it's kind of like a place where we, you know, Azra I and I, like, we're really close. And we, like, um, you know, this has been, a, it's been tough since COVID, but normally we hang out all the time, like, whenever we want, you know? And so it's kind of like... Um, uh, we were talking about stuff like this all the time. This is what the conversations we were having, you know, we prayed before dinner and had these conversations and just were like, we need to just get this message out there. Like other people need to like hear it. And so, you know, living in the time of trailblazers, that's our job. That's why, mm -hmm. you know, we have to get this message out there because it, it may not, be, it may not be about us. You know, it may not be, it, you should be the person that you didn't have. Like, that's what it's really all about because, Absolutely. um, 
like people need to hear this message and just know that God loves you no matter what. Like literally like the essence of God is God loves you and yes. that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And and for anyone that denies that, like how like you're just a lukewarm ass Christian. But like real talk, real talk. But you know, the interesting thing that you said and is that a lot of people and because of the the trauma that they endure and the experiences they have with people, they end up walking away from God. But neither of you chose to do that. So when did you get to that point where you realized, you know what? God loves me. He made me this way. And I'm happy with who I am. Like, when did you know that everything that you had been taught about homosexuality, the LGBTQ community was wrong and God loved you? For me, I think it was simple math. It was like one plus one equals two. Like, it was like, God is perfect. It makes perfect things. And like, you know, I know when I'm not being perfect and I know when I'm doing something. I was given, I have discernment. I know when I'm sinning. We all have sin. So if, if we all have sin, and Jesus died for our sins. And so we have a great equalizer. Okay. What's left is just a human being. Mm. I'm being so judged by the Christian community by my sin. And I'm looking at these people like, I know you're cheating on your wife. Like, who are you pointing at? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're a missionary? Yeah. And you just went to Belize and magically came back with a wife who's who doesn't really speak English and you're really ugly. How'd that happen? Like you're still doing some shady stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when someone point when someone points at you, they get the other fingers pointing back at themselves. And honestly, I've always just come like, it really is my mother who gave me God as my judge as my weapon. Because really like if God's okay with what I'm doing, if I'm doing things that have love and consent and respect and, um, you know, even less than connection and on a good, nice and spiritual plane, like then I don't really see how you can hold me up to somebody who is, you know, doing all their things. Mm. Like I'm not trying to sin. I'm not trying to judge everybody else's sin. I don't yuck anybody's yum. I'm not a sin counter. That is not my purpose on this earth. Right. It's mine. So, <laughs> Azariah, Azariah, and Judge Judy and RuPaul got a pencil and paper. <laughs> Daniel, that's 7,642 That was an oddly specific number, as if you've already said that before. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I honestly, like, I'm not trying to like downplay my, uh, my lifestyle, but I wish. <laughs> line, line of up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm just trying to see. But here's another thing. Here's another thing. The off color humor thing, right? Making jokes about blowjobs. People get so uptight. They yeah. get so wrapped up in all of this stuff. Like I'm laughing my ass off about little Nas X right now and how people are so wrapped up about him. Yes. But the, the whole point, he, the whole, the whole thing, the satanic thing. First of all, I have an aversion to satanic imagery. I don't like it. Like if it, honestly, and I'll say it straight right now, if a dude comes at me and he's got like a pentagram necklace on me and he's trying to hit on me in a club, it ain't happening. Like that's just like, no, that's just, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you have a pentagram tattoo. Great. My mom will love that. No, it's just not, I don't care how cute, I don't care how cute you are. I can't even sleep with you. Like it's not it, you know, Right. that's just not, it just doesn't stick. But that whole thing, what he did there, it took me a second to realize how he's just basically told by Christians all the time, you know, especially within his own music community. He literally, instead of saying, okay, I go to hell. So he CGI's a 500 foot stripper pole, slides down, lab dances on the devil, snaps his neck and takes his place. That's funny. Like, and the, I know that the, icon, the, the iconography was gross and the blood in the shoe was gross and all that stuff is gross, but we're giving it so much power. You're giving like a red faced horned devil 
so much power. Mm-hmm. You can't give power to an icon. You have, the, the adversary is way more advanced and sneaky and prettier than that. And, you know, a good example is I never watched the movie Hellboy because I was like, it looks like it's called Hellboy and it's got a big demon. But my sister liked it and she's like way more Bible thumper than I am. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I was like, let me like check this out. And I watched it and it was hilarious and heartwarming. And, 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 and Hellboy is actually like a really sweet man who's like trying to figure out like his way through the. So I judge the book by its cover and it's mm-hmm. the same way people it's the same way the president of Walsh University is judging his gay students by the cover it's the same way Azra and I and I get called out for having titles like can, can you think God can you think God, God, God. <laughs> <laughs> but you know like people are like get all wrong but you know what you're judging us and you don't realize there's a, there's a praise report and a prayer request and scripture in that message and there's a prayer in that message and sometimes we gotta put stuff in a candy wrapper to feed it to them yeah. some of these people are the people we're, we're preaching to the people who have been told that they have nothing that there's no more place for them so they yes. see something like that and that's a familiarity it's a funny joke it's like a lighthearted. me joking about blowjobs is not going to send me to hell that was right. like my i couldn't even i couldn't practice my art i couldn't be my person in front of myself and my family because i thought that joking about blowjobs was going to send me to hell and it's like so the same message is still being spewed to me i laugh it's laughable it's like me having a big iron shield made by god and you know the devil's got like, one of those little like red rubber like suction cup darts like and it's like i'm <laughs> laughing like when they yeah. come at me because because what we're doing here is so important as you and i receive mm-hmm. messages from the philippines and from the appalachian mountains and from paris and from tokyo and just people all over who just needed someone to say you could be gay and love god so important so important and Azariah, what about you? The moment that comes to my mind is when I realized that I serve Jesus because I love Jesus. Mm. You know, like I follow the message of Christ yeah. because I'm compelled by the life and example that he lived. And you not because I'm trying to, not, not to avoid hell. And I, I understood that so often the reason growing up, the reason I, I did what I did and I was very zealous. Um, even Christian radio DJs were telling me, my, you're very zealous, you know, because uh, it's like Christian radio DJ has to tell you that you're pretty zealous, but it was because I, I, I feared going to hell, you know? Um, and, and that was my motivation, but, but I was able to switch to love. And, and like, as the course of miracles says, the only true miracle that there that can happen is the, the conversion from fear to love. Mm-hmm. And so when my miracle happened is when I was able to learn to love myself, accept myself, debunk the false theology that says LGBTQ people are a sin and going to hell, you know, and to understand the Bible from a historical critical point of view and approach the interpretation from that aspect instead of a literal point of view which is all that i knew so um so so yeah making that switch of like i i follow christ because i believe in in the example and the message that he he gave to us um was when i could just give the big middle finger to all of the (laughs) naysayers out there and and the the emails that i would get from people from my church that would say you know god still loves you you can you can still come back you know even today i got one you know so um yeah that that conversion experience for me from fear to love and understanding that i i follow christ because of the example that he led was was my moment that's huge i love that to transition from fear to love i think that that's a big big statement um a question that i have for you 
for both of you, when people are trying to kind of get into this whole deconstruction movement that's happening, and it's been big of people really kind of looking at what they've been taught their whole lives and saying like, wait a minute, hold up. Why, you know, where would you suggest that they start if they're really trying to kind of lean more into this progressive Christian movement that's happening of love and acceptance? By listening to Yash Jesus, no. <laughs> no. That's a great no. suggestion, though, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we know our favorite story. Like, for us, when it comes to the LGBTQ experience, I always love to start with David and Jonathan and First Samuel because, like, I don't think that everybody, I don't think anyone who's gay would pick up on this perspective unless they're really looking but once you get it it's like so different you know david and jonathan reads is a love a gay love story to me plain and simple 100 percent crystal clear in the bible and i think that um that was a very freeing notion to me you know it's always been served to us as you know best friends or i've seen it at weddings as between the best man or you know these kind of covenants of love but when you read them in the context of the story it's so compelling and undeniable um, um, I think that's an amazing uh, a place to start for at least the LGBTQ experience. But there's a lot of things. I mean, for me, also, uh, as he uh, t- talk about um, Joseph and, and his uh, dream coat of many colors, because, uh, you know, like uh, Joseph's coat um, in the story uh, is written from 46 AD as Ketanit Pasim. As not a, which is not a coat. Um, it only appears one other time in the Bible as a virginal dress that a princess wears on her wedding day. Hmm. So Jacob bought Joseph a princess dress, which is why he got beat up and why they ripped it up and put blood on it and everything else. Joseph was potentially genderqueer or trans or or gay or any or just something or just even uh, wore women's clothing. And I think that was the problem for everyone. Peter Santiscano said something where he was like, to, to not even tell that part of the story is to do a disservice to the Bible. Like, even if you don't believe it, uh, pastors, preachers, uh, uh, priests should say, you know, we don't believe this, but some say Joseph was genderqueer. That might be something for someone in that, you know, from that perspective. To not even say that part, part is really doing a disservice to the Bible when the direct translation is a princess dress. Well, <laughs> to do that is kind of common practice in America to own <laughs> right. history. I think for me, I think for me with Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the facts that were coming my way, learning about uh, affluent black New York that was destroyed uh, for uh, Central Park, learning about George Washington's teeth and the actuality of that changed my life forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because why even say they were wooden teeth? Why even tell me something? Why have me in elementary school making like a little thing where I'm tasting fake wood? Like why have me do something that is so perpetuating lies? And that really, that really got me deeper into checking out what my own queer history meant. Because along fighting along uh, the lines uh, for Black Lives Matter, you know, queer people need to go and say, hey, what about us too? Like we need to look into our stuff. They've been lying about us too. And you know, without, without, without uh, uh, critical race theory, without, comprehensive sexual education and queer history no one's going to know this stuff and so it, that's why you know um, we have to find different ways we have to find ways to express it in art or sneaky slide it into my stand-up or someone can you know uh, make a parody song one day or we could just do a podcast and drop some knowledge on the different audience but the whole point is we have to keep talking about it because th- this revisionist history thing that that they all like to do you know um i i mean just coloring 
coloring books of white Jesus just isn't going to do it for me anymore. Yep. Like yeah. I have, like I have to, I have to, uh, the father, son, Holy spirit transcend color, race and gender. And I, and, and all of that stuff. And I, so I need to see, I need to see the light and have to look deeper for that. And I think that if anybody is even curious of even seeing what it's like to feel that feeling, it's literally like the best thing in the world that comes above anything. And so it's like, you have to, um, start anywhere is my advice um but just start looking start looking and wondering because it's right in front of you and i don't want to take too much of the mic as but but i'm so compelled right now because i feel like i'm a little on fire for the lord to tell this other little quick story but um the way that i an example of like proof of god for me was i was in i was in louisiana god bless them right now but i was in louisiana uh, filming a movie and i was at a walmart and i was with some other actors and we we're all acting in full and we were going into walmart and buying a bunch of like christmas sites to decorate our house and have a little party and we're coming out and there's like a quote-unquote crazy lady in the um in the uh, parking lot mm-hmm. and she says something to my friend and he goes yeah 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 and he went in the car and it made me laugh the way he like kind of dismissed her and she came around to my car and she was like you know like saying something and i went yeah 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 i just mimicked his yeah and we all were kind of like laughing and she goes you know what i'm talking about i'm like no i don't and i'm like putting the packages in the car she's like i'm talking about god and i vowed to myself that i would never it doesn't matter what scenario it is i'll never deny god that's just something that won't happen yeah and so she's like i'm talking about god and i was like yes i do know what you're talking about and she's like god's like a new car and i'm like "Mm, you lost me there (laughs) she's like well did you ever get a (laughs) she's like did you ever get a new car and i said yeah and she goes, well, did you notice the card before you got it? She's like, and then once you get it, you notice that you notice it everywhere. You go, oh, there it is on the corner. The same car is there. It is in red. She goes, oh, there it is over here. That car was always there, but you were enlightened to it. Mm. She's like, and when you open it, when you open your eyes and your heart and you get enlightened to God, God is everywhere. And he was there all the time. And you just were blind. That's why, you know, so that. To me, that is... You got a whole sermon in a parking lot. <laughs> I did. I did. Maybe she was an angel. Maybe that's what I needed to hear at that time in my life. Yeah. You know, um, when I was struggling with a lot of things I was struggling with. But to me, that was another, like, Oprah says, like, aha moment. Like, it was another time that I just kind of was like, God exists. Like, how could you... I mean, everybody else are going to go, like, have this, you know, karaoke party. And I'm just sitting there thinking about God, you know? Yeah. Ezra, I'm going to actually direct a different question to you. Why do you think now there is so much emphasis on kind of deconstructing and trying to be an ally, trying to be an advocate, trying to focus on social justice, as opposed to, you know, we look in the past. I think it's just like a huge movement now, but also just specifically within progressive Christianity. Why do you think that it's kind of being pushed to the forefront now? It seems that social media would definitely play a role in that Mm -hmm. um, because we can uh, find our communities through the hashtags, through the algorithms and, and exchange ideas and, uh, and expound on that. Um, Now it really all started with liberation theology, it seems like. Um, and that isn't too old of a, of a theology. And mm-hmm. I think it's just compounding with, with that and the access to information. I mean, that's from my vantage point, that's yeah. what I suspect. I think that's great. Um, I, I agree. Because once you can grasp onto the liberation theology and understand that this, <laughs> it came to set you free and free indeed, you know, like you don't want to go back. You can't yeah. go back, you know, yeah. um, and you want to share that because that is the good news. Absolutely. And so, um, 
Uh, and I also think that um, with collaboration of other communities, other causes, you know, it it builds on that as well. You know, we there's more support, more uh, infrastructure um, to get the word out and the message out. So yeah. I, I think from my vantage point, that's what I can see. Yeah, I think access to information is a huge thing because it's also kind of like once you are privy to something and you know something, you can't ignore it, you know? So like once you know certain stories in the Bible are actually this way, you're like, well, how can I ignore that? So let me, let me go a little deeper and a little further. Once you know actual American history, you can't ignore it. You have to continue to learn and to know more because then ignorance, you know, really is bliss because you, you don't want to have to acknowledge the things that it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. I think that's why people, when you talk about critical race theory, when you mention that Danny, like nobody wants to hear the truth about America because they've been fed this narrative of the American dream and, you know, America being this perfect country and America is a great country, right? But when you're challenging that narrative with actual facts, people think that their narrative is the facts, but it's not. You're like, no, this is actually what it is. Do you remember American Tale, the, the cartoon American Tale? I do. Little Fievel, right? With the little, yeah, Little Fievel, the little mouse. He comes yeah. from like Russia, like yeah, as yeah. an immigrant mouse. Yeah. Um, there was a song in that where it's like, there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. You know, and like they're only like, all the rats are like so excited. They're like, so set your mind at ease. And I was like, why do they think America's like this? And it really informed me about how my immigrant grandparents must have felt coming here thinking that like everything's for you and then, you know, being slapped in the face with like a last name change or having to like all of a sudden, you know, work on the docks and figure out how to do that when you were a farmer yeah. and all of these other things that they were faced with, you know? And I know that it's so funny for the rats because they get there and then they're in New York city and there's just like street cats everywhere trying to eat them for the rest of the movie. So it's like, <laughs> it's re- I, I, I kind of sit with me early realizing like maybe something's a little off here, you know? Yeah. I think, I think the reason that everybody's like, especially now, like I feel like, it's in the past few years that this fuse is lit. And when that movie 1946 comes out, I really think that's going to make a big thing. It's going to take a while to get out there to the people that aren't going to rush out and see it. But mm-hmm. I think that's really going to, it's putting information out there. I think the reason we're all in this big panic right now in the, the me too movement, the black lives matter movement, the, uh, you know, this queer uh, uprising, all of this is happening. I think it's a direct combination of, uh, the information age of having all the information directly at our fingertips and then a country's reaction, both good and bad to having a black queer loving president. Mm. I think that, I think that like they weren't mm. ready for that. And then everyone could share how much they either were or weren't ready for it. And then it, and then it explodes, Come you know, on. I mean, it was yeah. just like, I, and, and then, you know, coming out of the administration, I mean, you know, we're never in like, the, I mean, since Obama, I haven't really felt like we've been in like the most amazing hands and there's are mistakes that now we found out that Obama made and everybody makes mistakes. But like, I feel like moving forward and being progressive and, and, uh, and, and, uh, going ahead, we can't let the country get that divided again, no matter who's in charge. Yeah. Uh, we saw what, we saw what the outcome of that is. And, you know, even comedy is so like, I was just thinking just, you know, even something about, even something like uh, we're learning now, uh, not to use African-American vernacular, you know, and making like jokes or things like that, or, you know, or maybe like uh, saying that's so gay, like doesn't, we're culturally learning like things that, that aren't, 
that are peeling off that eventually a lot of comedy is suffering because mm. our, the, people are too afraid to like make that step to be irreverent and everything like that. And I think speaking with a lot of people that are boomers or speaking with a lot of people that are in comedy in general, I think a lot of people are like really frustrated with that kind of aspect that people are so sensitive right now that you literally can't do anything. Um, you know, and I think it's going to take a chance for everybody to stand up. It's kind of like the world or the country, especially, but the world is having like a big town hall meeting. And we're kind of saying, these are the things we haven't been okay with all of, all of this time, you know? And, you know, it's confusing for, for, for a lot of people, how that works. Cause some people, you know, I always think Mexicans and Italians, we love like those two cultures, especially love being made fun of. They're like, put a sombrero on a bean and sell me a burrito, you know, <laughs> and like Italians are like the same thing. I saw this thing driving down the street the other day that said Luigi's Italian ice. That had this guy with like Guido's Italian ice. That had this guy's like crazy mustache and these zany eyes. And I'm like, no, but you can never do that at a Chinese food restaurant now or something, you know, but if there's a, but I don't know how many Italian guys today in today's world are being punched in the face at a word like that mm -hmm. and i think that's where we have to think when violence is attached to some of that stuff it takes the humor out for me it's yes. not okay for just some people to laugh at it anymore and until we can kind of come to a place where either we're like we're like the most crazy mixed melting pot and it doesn't matter anymore which is really where we're headed or it gets to the point where everybody can learn like how to treat each other and then it's okay to make fun of everyone again because we're all in on the joke instead of being the butt of the joke, I don't know how long it's going to take for comedy to change. But I, I really also don't think it's going to be that long because the way, eventually, um, Caitlyn Jenner is a great example when I use, when I talk about this. Because uh, when Caitlyn Jenner came out, I trans and was on the cover of Vanity Fair. It was like earth shattered. Like mm -hmm. there isn't a person in this world who didn't know who Bruce, who Bruce Jenner was, you know, and now there isn't a person who doesn't know who Caitlyn Jenner is. Right. And it was like, it got, it got down to the nursing homes. They talked about it, you know? And I think that that was, even though Caitlyn Jenner is a problematic <laughs> uh, hero, um, in a way, like, um, I do a person, forget hero, but person, a problematic person. Like, I think that, she, that she was a trailblazer in so many ways and mm -hmm. so brave to do uh, what she did to came out. But then that very Halloween, Halloween. The number one Halloween costume was to wear a white dress with a sash and say, I'm Caitlyn. And for like frat dudes to dress up like Caitlyn Jenner. Mm. And everybody thought that was funny. Like everyone was dressing like her and they were like, that's disgusting. And so transphobic to do something like that. And I was like, no, because you need to be the joke before you get woke. Mm. Like there needs there, you need to be the butt of the joke. Like, like if I put uh, a, a, a gay neighbor in a movie that, goes, you know, and you're like, Hey, Mr. Wilson. And he's like, Hey girl, like we might all giggle right now, but it, then the joke's already been in the movie. So they're not going to put it in another movie because it wouldn't be funny anymore. And 10 years after that movie's 10 years old, then pretty soon your neighbor could be like, Hey girl. And you just walk down the street. Mm. So it's like, you know, we can't also fight against the, the comedy aspects of it all or like it's being used as like a, you know, um, you know, cause I feel like, uh, African-American people and queer people fall into that same spectrum of they yeah. take our stuff and then use it and use it, you know, 100%. but it's almost like that, but that's how they get used to us. Like that's how we are, 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 are getting into people's homes, you know, like, mm. and I, and I think it's part of the healing process. I think we're stuck here. We have like a blood clot, like we're kind of stuck somewhere in, in, in our country and it will heal 
or it will flow again or whatever the situation is, but it's not going to stay the way it is right now where everyone's sensitive. It can't, it literally can't. Yeah. We have no place to go from there, you know? And I think we lost a lot in comedy with that, especially being able to like make like living color was excellent. And it was excellent because nobody was spared, you know? And, um, and I think that that is the kind of thing that we need again, you know, but it's just not going to happen. That's the only all lives matter I can get on board with. <laughs> <laughs> also all of lives matter. Like I'm Italian. My grandparents came here in like the early 1900s. I wasn't here for any of this shit. You know what I mean? Like there's just no different, like we need to learn about everybody. Like, yeah. you know, like we like uh, too much uh, uh, book, uh, too much judging books by our cover going on right now. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about your podcast. And so, Ezra, how did the podcast come to be, and how did you two meet? First, let's start there. How did you two meet, and how did you decide to create this podcast that is just changing lives and is so important for the LGBTQIA community? It was a dark alley, really. And um, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. I'm just kidding. 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 No, I met Danny because I went to one of his shows and I just, uh, we had a mutual friend and uh, I went up to and introduced myself afterwards and uh, he thought I was cute. And so we went out for drinks afterwards and and, uh, and we just connected uh, over drinks at this great little queer bar in Silver Lake called Akbar. And um, and we, we shared our uh, religious upbringing, our conversion therapy stories, you know, uh, that night. And, uh, and we just kept hanging out and these conversations just kept connecting continued and um with my background in television and his his background as well um we wanted to bring something out uh to the forefront uh that people can listen to consume hear a prayer um have some funny irreverent conversations um around faith and sexuality um because we were having them (laughs) so (laughs) but uh yeah that's kind of how we met and, and how it started i love it I love it. And where can everybody listen to your podcast? Uh, Apple iTunes. Uh, what I, I don't I don't get these names right. Apple Podcasts is what it's called, right? Stitcher. It, so like, it wasn't <laughs> okay. Apple Podcasts before. It was just iTunes. And now it's Apple Podcasts. Yeah, you're fine. I totally am with you on that one. <laughs> it's pretty so much just everywhere. Yeah. 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 But if people will, if you are listening on Apple, we'd appreciate a five-star review. Thank you. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> she needs to eat. Yeah, but you can get us at yashjesuspod.com or at yashjesuspod.com. Jesus pod on Instagram. Amazing. Yes. And what are your individual social media handles where they can follow you and keep up with you as well? I'm at religious trade because you can find me in an alley for 17 bucks now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> preaching the gospel. <laughs> that's the best <that's> 18 dollars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there will be glory, but there also might be a hole. We won't talk about that. I know. Uh, um, I am what's up Danny on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, black people, meet.com, Farmers Only and Venmo and, and anywhere Stop else. It. <laughs> You're done. You're done. That list, I can't. Oh, you both are amazing. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to just chat with me for a little bit. Thank you for what you're doing and for the space that you're creating. And I hope to meet you both in person once we get out of this pandemic. But thank you so much for lending your voices to this conversation. And to the listeners, thank you so much for an incredible season of We Need to Talk. We will be back in January of next year, but don't go too far because we have some great mini series coming up in October and November. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care.